The Blue Bloods are here to bring you guys another loaded episode full of college football news and content for this Monday. We start the episode by talking about which school deserves the title of wide receiver U. We then discuss which schools JT Daniels could potentially end up at after his transfer from USC. And then we debate on whether the Wonderlick test really matters for players. And we also discuss the league scores for the top 2020 prospects. We wrap up this loaded episode by giving our take on whether the NCAA should move the upcoming football season to the spring of 2021. It's about that time, so let's kick it off. So as we've covered the last two episodes, ESPN dropped their rankings for which school was positioned you for every position since the start of the BCS era. So we decided we'd bring our own take to this list and debate which school deserved the title throughout each position. This is the third installment of our rankings, and we move on to one of the most exciting positions on the field, wide receiver. ESPN ranked USC as wide receiver U, followed by Ohio State, Florida State, Oklahoma State, and LSU. Just to reiterate the rules, for you guys who might not have heard our last two episodes, we can only take into account wide receivers from 1999 onward. Um, So, Brandon, based on all this, which school is wide receiver U for you and why? Let me go ahead and... uh... Say I'm sorry to all the LSU fans listening. While I do think that LSU has just a stable wide receivers year in, year out, uh, a lot of talent on that team, uh, you're going to hate to hear the school that comes from out of my mouth right now, but I'm going to have to go with the University of Alabama. Um, you, the, Alabama has been just incredible with recruiting wide, wide receivers that uh, produce just massive numbers of yards, uh, touchdowns, just stats in general. Uh, I mean – you can go year in, year out. I mean, just to name a few, I mean, Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, Jerry Judy, uh, Calvin Ridley. I mean, we can even go back further to the, like the mid-2000s. I mean, you have uh, players like uh, like uh, Tyrone Prothrow. Um, I mean, Marquise Mays. I mean, it, the list goes on. DJ Hall. It, it's just, if you are an Alabama wide receiver, you are what is making that team run along with their running backs. Uh, defense, of course, but that, we'll talk about the offense for a second. If you are a wide receiver or a running back at the University of Alabama, you are what is taking this team to national championships year in and year out. Do you really, with a straight face, could you tell me that Greg McElroy deserved a national championship without his wide receivers? No, he doesn't. Um, I mean, just to take a, a peek at some of the wide receiver stats, uh, let's just take my personal top three wide receivers from Alabama. Uh, let's go first with Amari Cooper. Um, Amari Cooper, over his career, uh, he 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 caught. Uh, let's see how many touchdowns. I uh, I'm sorry, bad radio. Uh, 31 touchdowns over his three year career. Uh, he caught for 3,463 yards. And, and I mean, I, I don't have the uh, completion percentage when when the ball was catchable to him, but everyone knows it's astounding. It's Amari Cooper uh, for Julio Jones. 2,600 yards receiving, uh, 
and 15 touchdowns throughout his three-year career. And then Jerry Judy, who might be the best of the bunch in college, uh, uh, he, he had 2,700 yards, 26 touchdowns over a three-year career. Um, granted, he did have uh, Jalen Hurts and uh, Tua passing to him over these three years. But, I mean, but let's, let's place that behind us for a second because, uh, I mean, you don't just uh, go for nearly 3,000 yards in your career because you have a good quarterback. Um, I really think that these Alabama wide receivers are what makes their offense take year in and year out. And, you know, you, you can look back through any year in history. They have one wide receiver that's going to stand out, you know, in the nation. So that's why I have Alabama at my wide receiver. You. I like that pick. I had Bama at two, but I mean, first I want to say, I think it's a crime that they had USC at number one. I have them as a borderline top five team. I have them at five, guys. They had a lot of talent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they have a lot of talent. But I think other teams had superstars that riddled their rosters during this time period. I like Alabama. I had Bama at two. Like you said, the list goes on and on when it comes to Alabama wide receivers. And the fact that they were put at, what, number nine by ESPN? That's a shame, right? I mean, how... How is there eight teams that can rival that lineup right there? Um, I mean, USC had Marquise Lee, Dwayne Jarrett, Mike Williams, but and Juju Smith-Schuster. But, I mean, I don't know if any of them are better than the three wide receivers you listed for Alabama, right? No, they're not. Yeah, I mean, really not. So I have an unconventional one, and I think so – I got to say this, they're overlooked, one, because of the conference they play in, and two, they're overlooked because they don't have the national brand recognition that you know Alabama, USC, Ohio State, LSU, Florida all have. And this is Oklahoma State. Okay. I think Oklahoma State's overlooked. I mean, Brandon, we listed, what, Justin Blackman as one of our wide receivers on the All-Decade team? Yeah, I think he was our top wide receiver. Yeah, our top wide receiver, and that's not even including. I mean, Brandon, in this in the time period we're looking at, two receivers from Oklahoma State went over forty four hundred yards receiving yeah, in their career. Insane, and that's... they one of them was James Washington, who had forty four hundred, almost forty five hundred yards, and four and thirty nine touchdowns. He averaged nineteen yards per catch, Brandon. Yeah. He averaged two first downs every time he touched the ball. And for second, we have Rashawn Woods from the early 2000s who put up over 4,400 yards and had 42 touchdowns. 42. I mean, that almost doesn't even make sense. I mean, the highest wide receiver on Alabama's list had 3,400 yards, and that was Amari Cooper. And he had 10 less touchdowns than both of these guys. And right. – and for the all-decade team, you have Justin Blackman, who was third on the list with over 3,500 yards, which still puts him over Amari Cooper. So the top three wide receivers from Oklahoma State are put up better college careers than Alabama's top wide receiver. And then, uh, I, I don't want to throw this in your face, I mean, Tylen Wallace isn't done. Tylen yeah, Wallace not. is back this year, and right now he's on pace. If he puts up another thousand yard season, that puts him up over thirty five hundred yards, and that's and if he gets fifteen hundred, which I don't know about you, Brandon, I think he can easily do if he stays healthy. He'll they, he will be added to the another four thousand yard receiver for this school. 
Right. And and so you want to talk about the 4,000-yard receivers for Oklahoma State, but I think there's a big difference between Oklahoma State wide receivers and Alabama wide receivers in that Oklahoma State will have one good wide receiver a year, whereas Alabama, I mean, since 2017 alone has had Devontae, uh, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, and Jerry Judy. I mean, I, I understand Jerry Judy's only had 3,500 yards throughout his career, but he's having to share catches. Uh, and who is Tylen Wallace sharing catches with? Now, I, I was a fair. I mean, that's a fair point. I'm not going to argue that. I'm just saying I don't think we should hold it against Tylen Wallace because Oklahoma State doesn't have the national prominence to get four five star wide receivers. Right, but no, and, when they get it, go ahead. Yeah, and so I mean, it is a good argument. You know, Tylen Wallace is obviously one of the greatest wide receivers in the game right now in in college football. Um, I'm not going to take that away from him. But to make my point, I mean, it, it's tough to have, you know, 4,500 yards receiving when you have to spread that out between three wide receivers, unless your quarterback just throws for 15,000 yards throughout his career over three years, then it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair enough. I mean, that's not even it for Oklahoma State, though. I mean, I only highlighted a few of them. I mean, Dejon Woods from the mid-2000s had t- over 2,700 yards, 20 touchdowns. And then... I've even gotten to Des Bryant, which is scary. Oh, I mean, yeah. and he had over 2,500 yards and had 29 touchdowns, and he only played three years. And then you have Josh Stort, another over 2,000-yard receiver. Then you have Adarius Bowman, another over 2,000-yard receiver. I mean, Alabama in this time period only has, what, one, two, three, four, five, six over 2000 yard receivers, Oklahoma State, you have to go all the I mean, you have to go all the way down outside the top 10 to yeah. find that. And so for me, yes, the competition is steeper. I'm, as we know on this podcast, Brandon will say it. I'm a big SEC homer. I think it's the toughest conference in college football and it's not even uh, it's not even a conversation. But when you look this list is supposed to be what school has produced the most good college wide receivers that have put up the best stats, the best college careers. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to argue that Julio Jones hasn't went out and put up amazing numbers in the NFL. I'm not going to say Amari Cooper isn't a great NFL wide receiver, Calvin Ridley, et cetera, et cetera, like you said. But based on college performance, Oklahoma State has had some of the best wide receivers in the country. And the scary part is they actually got hindered. Tyreek Hill was there as a freshman putting up outrageous numbers and got ended up getting kicked out of Oklahoma State. Yeah. So that's that is another, you know, impairment, I guess, on their resume. But I think from top to bottom, Oklahoma State has as good an argument as any to be wide receiver you. And I think a lot of people overlook them, like I said, due to their lack of national spotlight. I mean, how many people have actually heard of – I mean, me and you do the podcast. I mean, how many people, if you ask just a random person, know who Tylen Wallace is? Uh, not a lot. Not many. And, you know, Justin Blackman made our all-decade team. How many average fans would actually, like, hit us up and was like, who is who's Justin Blackman? <laughs> Man, it, it shouldn't have been very many, but – it should. And Des, Des Bryant's their most known wide receiver, and on – the all, you know, on the list of, you know, wide receivers, he's eighth all time. There's seven players above him and all but one played in the decade that we're analyzing right now. There's only one Hartley Dykes that played in the eighties that has over 
2,000 yards receiving. Every other player over 2,000 yards receiving played in the decade that we're analyzing right now. Right, right. That That's a testament to, you know, what Mike Gundy has really done at Oklahoma State and what Mike Leach did. Or not Mike Leach, my bad. I totally messed that one up. It's Mike Gundy the whole time pretty much. But I think Tylen Wallace hits 3,000. I mean, 4,000. And I think Tylen Wallace has a really good shot at doing something special. And I think there's going to be someone else coming along. I mean, there just seems to be a rotating door wide receivers. And, yes, Alabama's impressive. But Oklahoma State beats them by a nose. And the reason I do it is because they deserve the respect. And if you have two receivers over 4,000 yards and you're not wide receiver you, I don't understand how we're, you know, judging this argument. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And that's, I mean, it's not like ESPN left Oklahoma State off of their wide receiver U list. They were ranked yeah. fourth overall. <laughs> so they are getting some of the recognition they deserve. A little bit, um, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, we can't actually. They're not though. I, I agree that Alabama's two for me. Uh, I think I'm it, based on everything I research. I'm putting LSU at three, Ohio State at four, USC at five. I think LSU has a really strong case. I just think I think they've been a little less consistent, and I think they suffer for the same thing you said Alabama suffered from. I think LSU suffers from it way more is lack of quarterback play. How much, how many talented wide receivers did LSU have during the Jordan Jefferson, you know, years? Oh my God, a lot. A, a, lot, a lot. bunch, right? And then you have uh, LSU had some of the worst quarterbacks under Les Miles. I mean, if you take out Jamarcus Russell's one good season, and Joe Burrow's season, I mean, the quarterback play is – Matt Flynn wasn't great, though. I mean, would you classify him as – I mean, that's sad that Matt Flynn is viewed as a good quarterback for LSU because you put Matt Flynn at any other school, I don't even know if he's in the conver- – I mean, he might not even be a mediocre quarterback in some schools. No, that was just mean. You didn't even have to say that. We could have just gone on with the with the segment. Would you, would you consider Matt Flynn elite, Brandon? No, he's not elite, but I don't think Jamarcus Russell's elite either. <laughs> Jamarcus Russell was elite for one year. Sure, in college, His yeah. last year, in college. I mean, he was nothing about Jamarcus Russell in the NFL is elite, unless you're talking about the most elite bust of all time. Because he, he did busting more th- better than anybody. I mean, that was that's terrible. But, guys, we're going to go ahead, move on to our second segment. I'm actually looking forward to this segment. Um. Five-star JT Daniels. Brandon predicted this. I'm going to give him a shout-out here. Five-star JT Daniels has officially entered his name at the transfer portal, ending his time at LA, at USC. Daniels was the starting quarterback for the Trojans until you know his knee injury this year kept him out pretty much all season and allowed freshman sensation Brandon's boy, Keaton Slovis, to dominate the Pac-12 and claim the starting job. Moving, you know, moving forward, Daniels... What's a five-star prospect coming out of high school, Brandon? I mean, people forget how good this kid is, and I think he's going to be the hottest commodity on the open market this offseason. Um, Brandon, which two schools do you see as the best potential destinations for JT Daniels? Let me go ahead and start out with the uh, with with my second pick for JT Daniels, where I think that he would uh, fit in. I don't want to say the best, but obviously the second best. I'd go with Penn State. I think I have to pay, say I Penn State it. here because, I mean, what did we talk about in the last episode? We talked about how good Penn State would have been if Justin Fields would have kept his commitment there. How good they would be with an actual quarterback. You take JT Daniels, 
I mean, people, and, and this isn't just me joking around, people legitimately forget how good this kid is. He was a five-star prospect out of high school. He was a nine. He was a point nine nine one nine on the two four seven composite. Um, and if you watched him play, I mean, he, he's a pro style quarterback. He can fit into a lot of these systems. Um, I don't know. I, I think that Penn State would just be the ideal, one of the most ideal locations for him anywhere. Uh, I think that with him on this team, Penn State turns from a, I don't want to say middle of the pack in the Big Ten, but like upper middle of the pack in the Big Ten to just competing with Ohio State every single year for that conference. Uh, And not only that, but competing to get into the college football playoff for the next few years while JT Daniels is there. Um, And for my number one pick for for JT Daniels' location, uh, and stop me if you've heard this before, LSU gets an elite, uh, quarterback prospect on the transfer market, I think he would do wonders in Baton Rouge. And while Ed Orgeron and while many LSU fans do have a lot of confidence, Miles Brennan, uh, they think it's his time to shine. I've been, you know, I've said that several times. I wouldn't complain even for a second if JT Daniels was in LSU's system, if he was running quarterback. Um, and like I said, he's a, he's a true pro style quarterback. That's what LSU needs. That's the kind of quarterback that LSU can thrive with. Um, I say, why not give him a shot? You know, if, if LSU's open to this uh, transfer, which I couldn't tell you why they wouldn't be open to it. Uh, I think this might, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about how, or Zach's been talking a lot about how LSU's going to fall off. I don't necessarily disagree with them. I think that they're not, there's no chance they're nearly as good as they were last year, unless a miracle happens, unless Joe Burrow decides, you know what, I'm not going to the draft and coming back. Um, I think that with JT Daniels, they they still decline, but they don't they don't decline a lot. I, I, I seriously have that much faith in JT Daniels. I think he's a great quarterback in any team. Uh, whatever team he lands on is going to uh, prosper in, in at least the quarterback uh, department. I really, really like LSU there. I, I had them as an honorable mention on my list because I figured you were going to go with LSU. I'm going to stick my first choice. I really, really like this school. I think it's going to be underrated because they don't have a good replacement after their current starting transfer, and that's Georgia. Okay. I I think Kirby Smart needs, you know, another quarterback. He has Jamie Newman this year. He'll be gone after this year, most likely. Georgia's got the offensive line to protect Daniels. They have the targets to make Daniels really shine. I mean, USC outside of Pittman Jr. last year, I mean, can you name a skill player that was really outstanding? No, not really. And I don't think any of them were on the level that George Pickens is at the wide receiver position. No, not even. I mean, even. G- George George Pickens is a grown man out there, guys. And I think Georgia so is is a good destination. But here's what I'm scared of. I don't know if Daniels wants to go that far away from California. I mean, Georgia's a long way away from, you know, where he's from and where he wants to be. And my second team is just as far. But to stick with the Georgia train right now, I mean, Daniels needs to have a place that can offer him, I guess, offer him an ability to be on the biggest stages. I mean, USC plays on the biggest stages in the Pac-12. Oregon plays on the biggest stages. But it's still, they got to play those Pac-12 after dark games where probably 50 or 60% of the country is asleep already. Um, Not everyone's as dedicated as me and Brandon staying up till 1 o'clock in the morning watching UCLA come back down from 49 to 3, just about. And... 
you know, I think playing those 230 CBS games against Auburn, against LSU, against Alabama, I mean, that can only do wonders for Daniels. And I think Kirby Smart and that offense needs to reinvent itself. But Daniels fits into the system they want to go with, that pro-style quarterback with just a little bit of mobility. That's why I'm interested to see how, you know, Jamie Newman fits in because Jamie Newman's a pretty mobile quarterback. So I think JT Daniels sits behind, you know, sits one year at Georgia. He comes he comes in and Georgia's got their quarterback of the future for at least two more years. And for my second just two more years, it, it's it, it could be up to four more years. This kid's a freshman. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He's and I think he got a freshman. And I think he got an injury waiver last year, didn't he? Yeah, he's a red shirt. So yeah, he has dang. four more years of eligibility. That's crazy. And Georgia, I don't. I want y'all to name the backup quarterback because I can't. Um, I don't even know if they have one. The all, you know, Kirby Smart himself might be the backup quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs. But my Drop second choice, that. my second choice is going to be unconventional. I don't think a lot of people see this happening, but I think it's a perfect fit. I did want to go with Penn State. I kept them as an honorable mention, and I also kept Michigan as an honorable mention. But Jim Harbaugh seems to have a lot of confidence in Dylan McCaffrey. Um, but I'm going to go with Florida State here. Uh, okay. I think Mike Norval bringing that high-powered offense to Tallahassee and has already shown the ability to recruit excellent skill position players. And he has, and he has shown the ability to develop elite quarterbacks in his time. And I think Norval has big ideas, big dreams, and Daniels fits that system perfectly. Daniels has the arm and the legs to fit this Mike Norval system absolutely perfectly. And he can step in with lower expectations compared to Georgia or Penn State or somewhere like that. I mean, Florida State's barely been bowl eligible the past few years. And so Daniels steps in and gets them to the ACC championship or, you know, gets them to 10 and 2, 9 and 3. I mean, he's a star in Tallahassee. And, you know, he gets to come in, try to rebuild a dormant blue blood program that's fallen off since Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Bowden's left. And he'll be surrounded by better talent. I think Florida State recruits better than USC, and they have better wide receiver, running back, offensive line than USC does. And, again, he'll play in the national spotlight in the ACC. You don't think Florida State Clemson's going to get millions of view, of viewers? Flor- Florida State UNC, Florida State Miami. I mean, the, Florida State Florida, the list goes on and on. And I think this has the potential to be a real dark horse national championship contender if Daniels goes to Florida State to combine his talents with Mike Norval's coaching. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a good pick for sure. Um, the only thing I'm worried about at Florida State uh, would be the decision-making. And, you know, Mike Norval may come in and change that, uh, but we don't know that, right? I mean, it, it, yeah, it could definitely be true. Florida. It could definitely be Florida State's OC, who is the same OC that they had last year, um, making that call to not play Alex Hornibrook last year. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They they uh, they have they got a new OC, one. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, say they they, they, Kenny, they brought Kenny in Dillingham. a new one. Yeah, Kenny Dillingham who, I knew that. Who also was the offensive coordinator for Auburn last year. Right. Um, and was the offensive coordinator at Memphis before that when Memphis had one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Dillingham's only like 30. So he's the, I think he's the youngest assistant, um, coach in the country or something like that. I mean, he is super, super young guys. And JT Daniels is a raw talent. Let me just say that. Um, 
as a freshman, Brandon kind of already highlighted this. He did struggle with accuracy and INT. He only completed about 59% of his passes and had double-digit interceptions in 11 games. But he also threw for almost 3,000 yards in 11 games and 14 touchdowns. He's very, very raw, and he needs development, which is why Florida State, I think, is an underrated destination because I think out of Penn State, LSU, Georgia and Florida State. Florida State has the best coach that in developing quarterbacks out of those programs. I mean, Kirby Smart and Ed Orgeron are defensive uh, minded head coach, minded head coaches. And so, and James Franklin is kind of both. But I mean, James Franklin, as you've seen, hasn't been, hasn't shown a knack for developing quarterbacks. I mean, I can't say Sean Clifford has made a lot of improvements in his time as a Nittany Lion. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think you still need to give some of that credit to the OCs, and, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I I see where you're coming from there with that night with that Mike Norval pick. Yeah, and uh, uh, the thing I also LSU is an interesting pick for me, but I I really want to know. I I of course I don't I don't talk to recruits. I don't talk to these players personally, but I want to know what their perception is of LSU as a transfer destination. I mean, they got a transfer linebacker, but they're going to get defensive players because Ed Orgeron has spent, has already solidified his defensive reputation. Let's just say that, but has Steve Emsinger cemented his offensive, you know, reputation or do these recruits and players really fall subject to the fans and say, Joe Brady played a way bigger role than people would like to think. Right. I see that that statement just doesn't make sense to me. What do you mean Joe Brady played a larger role than people like to think? People think Joe Brady was the offensive coordinator last year. If you just ask a casual fan, that's what they're going to tell you. That's just well, yeah, no, the casual fan. I, I meant like the experts. Like experts will say Steve Emsinger deserves more credit than Joe Brady, but do the players think that, or do the players think like normal fans and think that Joe Brady was the offensive coordinator and did everything? That's, that's what I'll true. say. Like, yeah. like which, yeah, which yeah. side of the fence do they fall on? Because I think that's going to influence a lot of people's decisions moving forward. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, so we'll, I, I think that's going to be interesting in recruiting this upcoming year for LSU. I mean, LSU has a really good recruiting class, but what are these players really saying? Are we going to see a big influx of offensive players, or are they just going to say, oh, Joe Brady left, so now LSU is going to fall back in? That's going to be a storyline to watch moving forward, but – Guys, we have another segment here. It's going to be an interesting one, and it deals with the NFL draft process. So with sports at a standstill, many people around the country are looking for something to talk about, including me and Brandon. And everyone found it when the Wonderlick scores for the top 2020 prospects were leaked, this uh, what, a day or two ago. And yeah. in case you're unfamiliar... The Wonderlick test is a cognitive ability test that consists of 50 multiple choice questions, and they, they must be answered in 12 minutes. Only one player in the history of this test for the NFL has made a perfect score, punter Pat McNally in 1975. Uh, many experts debate on whether this test should be used, and if the results tell scouts, GMs, and coaches something valuable about you know these prospects. So this year... Tua Tagovailoa was the lowest score of all draft eligible QBs with the score of reported score of 13. Other reports came out that said he retook the test and got a 19, but Bob McGinn of the athletic, by the way, very valid source. I love reading his stuff did state that it indeed was a 13. Um, guys, just to put this in perspective, a score of 10 
usually indicates literacy. Um, th- that's not great. Um, and to make matters worse, Jerry Judy, the wide receiver coming out of Alabama, reportedly scored a nine. Yes, guys, that yeah. is below the threshold for literacy, um, which is not a great look. But we're going to debate this. So, Brandon, what are your thoughts on some of these scores? Because some of them are a little shocking. And what are your overall thoughts on this test in general? Okay, so the scores, shocking. Let's let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Uh, I think the highest quarterback score was Nate Stanley, who scored a 40. This is out of 50, by the way. Uh, Nate Stanley scored a 40. I think Joe Burrow scored a 34. Um, yes. Yeah, he scored yeah. right around there. Yeah, but Jake Fromm scored like a 35. So, I mean, Nate Stanley and – and Jake Fromm, you know, if you go by the Wonderlick test, if you want to say if you want to say that that correlates directly with your performance in the NFL, then they should be the top two draft uh, the top two draft choices uh, for teams who need the quarterback this year. Do I think the Wonderlick matters? Absolutely not. It's hilarious. Uh, it's definitely funny. It's not something I'd want to see done away with, just because it is like you said. I mean, the headline to see Tua scoring a thirteen on a test that's out of fifty is just the funniest thing I've heard all day. Um, but it's just not necessary. I mean, it seems like a waste of time. Uh, and truly, I mean, truly, why do these players need to take it? There's been studies uh, that have been done that say that the Wonderlick test doesn't really uh, correlate at all with, with NFL talent. Um, as a matter of fact, there's only two positions that showed any correlation whatsoever uh, between their test on the Wonderlick and their performance in the NFL. Zach. If you had to, if you had to guess which two positions correlated in any way with the Wonderlick test, what would you tell me? A uh, quarterback, and I would guess it was to be something stupid like kicker. No, see, both of those are wrong. It's tight end and cornerback. And you want to know what the correlation was? The lower these athletes scored on the test at at tight end and cornerback, the better they ended up performing in the NFL. That's that was a study that was done. I believe it was about ten years ago, um, and it's held true to this day. Which is okay. Hilarious. Can I throw can I throw something at you? Cornerback actually makes a little bit of sense. Okay, so hear me out. So if you think about like what a cornerback does, it ha- they they have to be smart enough to know what play they're running in the coverages. Right, right. That's that's ba- but that's just basic knowledge. Like any football player should be able to do that. But okay. if you have a player that's too smart and overthinks routes they're less reactive to what the wide receiver is doing. So therefore the less they think on the field, the better they should technically do. So that actually kind of right, actually makes I mean, sense to me. Why does that matter? Why? Okay. I don't think the Wonderlick test shows how smart you are either. I think it just shows how well you can like, you can read, I think. Reason? Because, well, I guess, I mean, one of the questions that I saw were like, if there's 40 kids in a class and, 25 of those are business majors. Uh, what I say, 80 kids in the class. If 25 of those are business majors and 15 of those are engineering majors and, and the rest of them are undecided, what percent are undecided? I mean, you just add those up. That's 40 out of 80, so 50% are undecided. I, yeah, I mean, but apparently it, it, a lot of these players can't do that. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's, uh, see, Dude, but why Jerry, does that Jerry matter? Jerry Judy why, made why a the, nine. Why a nine, Brandon. Why would that ever matter, though, Zach? I mean, the Wonderlick, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would you want someone who's going to be playing a game for their career to take a test to measure their intelligence? 
and, and not only their intelligence, not their football intelligence, but their intelligence on something that has nothing to do with their career. I mean, I get that you might not want a total moron playing for your football team. You may not want to pay him millions of dollars a year to play football for you. But at the same time, I mean, there's plenty of great athletes that couldn't tell you, I mean, what that percentage was. And they can, I mean, they can, they can perform at the highest levels. For instance, Frank Gore scored a six on this test. Frank Gore is one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. And he scored a six. That, okay. Hang on. Time out. Frank Gore is a really, really good running back. The one of the best in NFL history is a stretch. He just played for okay. 19,000 years. He's good. He's, he's probably going he's to be good. a good famer. Okay. Maybe, but to say he's one of the best of all time, let's not dish. Let's, let's not, you know, put our podcast on that list of people who don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Okay, you get the point I was trying to make, though. I got, I got you there. I mean, th- there's been some low scores from really good players. I mean, I think Darrell Rivas made an eight. Yeah, uh, Morris Claiborne made a four. A four. That's real tough. Listen, like Morris Claiborne has done okay in the NFL. I mean, he hasn't been like a Hall of Famer or anything like that. But a four should raise some flags, right? Like that is almost borderline. Like, do you have a single brain cell? Yeah, uh, it's it's and the thing is, you know, maybe these athletes are trying, but I, you have to think there's a percentage of these athletes that are just like, why am I even taking this test? Oh, I, I got you on that one. So in case you guys didn't see Richard Sherman responded to this report on Twitter and says that these scores don't matter for two reasons. All right. I got and I have answers to both reasons. The first reason, Brandon, as you said, he said the players don't try or at least some of the players don't try. I'm assuming Nate Stanley probably tried when he got a 40. Hopefully Joe Burrow making a 30 something probably tried. Um, And the other time he said that this test is given during a time where players are stressed out with barely any sleep and et cetera, when they take these tests, we said it's not a true evaluation of your talents. Um, And my response to the second point is, yeah, that's the point. Like you figure that if you went to Stanford, you would understand that. I mean, so the coaches and scouts and the GMs want to test your mind, mental flexibility, decision-making under the least ideal conditions, they want to see what you do when you're stressed, tired, and not 100%. I mean, Brandon, how many games, how many situations in games when you have to make a quick decision or figure something out is the perfect conditions with no time limit available? These players are making decisions in split seconds, and they have to read the, like, especially quarterbacks and stuff, have to read the defenses, make a quick decision, know where to get the ball, know how to audible, know the checkdowns. I mean, Literally, there's no perfect conditions ever in a game. So why would you take the test when everything is perfect for you? They want to see how you think on your feet when you're under pressure. And the other point, why would you not take the test seriously? That says more about a player or prospect than it does for someone who just didn't do good because they're not smart enough. If Brandon, if you're interviewing for your dream job and they give you a test and like maybe you don't completely understand why they gave it to you. Are you going to purposely do bad just to make a point like, oh, this is stupid, so therefore I don't need to do this? Or are you going to try your best because you want your dream job? I'll tell you this. If I've had three years of, of experience at, at at a national level where everyone sees how I can perform, maybe, because people know how I perform, why would you need to take that test? Because there's little tasks throughout your career that you might not want to do or you might not see the importance of, and you're, just, you're going to pay these people m- – 
tens of millions of dollars and on the off chance that if they don't see the purpose of your task, they're just going to BS it. That says more about the person and their work ethic. Let me put this into perspective for you, Zach. So, and I'm using your exact, your exact, uh, situation here. So say that your dream job is to be the CEO of a company, right? Gotcha. So your so your experience here is going to be that you were the CFO of Microsoft for four years. You yeah. did great things. This company has excelled financially. They are the richest company in the world at this point because of what you've done. Now you want to be the CEO of a company. So you step down, you, you want to be the CEO of like a mid-level tech company. If this if this tech company wants you to take just an absurd test where your where your scores are going to be leaked and this test has nothing to do with your ability to complete to to do that job, are you going to take it seriously? You were just the CFO of Microsoft for four years. Yeah, if that's the job I want and that's the that's direction so I want to take that's my career, dumbest, I mean, that's, that's the dude, thing I've ever so heard. like literally, I I can't think of a career or a job pass where every single thing you do correlates a hundred percent like okay and let me just say this okay time out like i know i'm on the side that says this is important like do i think these scores matter just standalone no i I really don't like if if literally joe burrow top prospect in the draft right now if he came out and made a made a a really low score let's just say like a 12 do i think that you should take him off the board completely no because he has the film that shows hey he's one of the most accurate passers in the draft he's one of this but i think these scores do matter because excuses are old and like it it gives you another data point for some of these borderline players. I mean, think of a player who's a borderline first rounder. So like Grant Delpit, he had bad he had a bad film his senior year. We've talked about this on the podcast, right? He didn't have a great senior year. He and he had an average combine. And there's a there's a team that's like, man, should we draft him with our first pick? Should we take a chance here? If he goes out and makes a 40 on the Wonder Lick, and you're like, okay, well, it seems like he's pretty intelligent. He's going to be able to play really, really well in the secondary. He's smart, intelligent. His interviews went well. You know, we might take that pick. But if he goes out and scores a four and he's like, well, I didn't try. It's like, well, his film's inconsistent. His combat performance is inconsistent. And his Wonder Lick was inconsistent. It could offer them another data point to decide on a borderline player is all I'm saying. I'm saying... It's not everything, but it should be taken into some account in some circumstances. And the argument I wanted to make is, do they matter? Yes. But the only position I think you should take it into account significantly is quarterback. And but you said why? they don't You said they don't correlate. I'd like to see the study. They don't. Oh, I'll send it because, to you. Okay. So, um, Brandon, have you – up until this past season um, – there's not been there's only been two quarterbacks that were consistent starters for more than five years that made below a twenty at quarterback. Only two. And one of them was Cam Newton, and we saw we see where he is right now. Um he made and, a you 21. Know, for, in his second time. His first time it actually was really, really bad. We won't get into that. As an Auburn fan, I can't support Cam here. It was tough. But Brandon, do you know what the quarterback average is normally? I think it's like a 26 or 27. 25 was the most recent one. Do you know what the average for Super Bowl winning quarterbacks are? No. Over 30. Okay. Um, There's only been a handful of quarterbacks that have gone to the Super Bowl that were under 30 and even less that have won under 30. 
So, Brandon, what would you say? Okay, so Peyton Manning was pretty good quarterback, right? You would say that. You would give me that, right? If not, one yeah. of the best ever. Um, what was Peyton Manning's biggest advantage on the field? Uh, he could, I mean, he could read defenses. He, could, I, mean, I think, I don't know. Yeah, he could read defenses. He didn't have. He he never had the strongest arm. He was not the fastest or the biggest. He was smarter than most defensive coordinators. Same with Tom Brady. Say, I mean, same with really, I mean, Drew Brees can do the same thing. I think Drew Brees is very underrated when it comes to like his cognitive ability as a quarterback. Everyone gets lost in the fact that he has one of the biggest arms in the game. Drew Brees is really, really smart in case. And I'll let Brandon as a Saints fan speak more about that in a second. But, and I just want to say this. So as a quarterback, you have to, you have, that's the position you have to think on your feet the most. You have to know every single part of the playbook. You don't have to just know your job. You have to know the, what the, what all four, let's just say, wide receivers are doing, all the offensive linemen are doing, the running backs, the fullbacks. Then you have to study the defense. And then as when the ball snapped, you have to read the defense before, during, after everything. You have to be smart enough to lead your team. You have to, you have, Quarterback is the most cognitively demanding position on the field at all times. And you're telling me that a score, a, a test of your cognitive ability doesn't matter? If your quarterback scores a six like Vince Young did, you're okay with your quarterback being not even barely being literate? Yeah. Look, Zach, so so your argument is that the higher you score on this test, if you're a quarterback, the better you're going to perform. Is that right? No, no I'm saying – the higher the higher you score, it offers another data point into set. So Nate Stanley has horrible, horrible college film. There is nothing right now suggesting he's going to be a good quarterback, but it's suggesting hey, he might be a decent late round backup because he's smart enough to play scout team quarterback. But you take another quarterback like so. You, let's take two mid mid round quarterbacks in Anthony Gordon and Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurst scored an 18, but way below the quarterback average of 25. Anthony Gordon scored, what, a 25 on the dot? Yeah, 25. And a mid-round pick. If, so you have Jalen Hurts' film, Anthony Gordon's film. You have their combine performances. You have their Wonderlick score now. I think you might have to lean toward Anthony Gordon. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, I'm talking so first round picks might be a little you have the film to suggest they might be a good player it's like could they have had a bad day on the test yes but when it comes down to these mid-round picks and it's like the film's not all the way there they're combo and you're needing a deciding factor I think I'm taking the smarter quarterback so if it came down to Jalen Hurts and let's just say Nate Stanley way late in the round I'm taking Nate Stanley because he's like he'll be he, he looks like he'd be more cognitively ready to contribute on even the practice squad rather than Jalen Hurts right no, and, and it, the same goes for Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason didn't do great, but no. so I don't think there's a big difference between let's say 25 and 35. Like, okay, you did decent. Like, I got you, but a 13, Brandon, dude, you are three points away from barely being literate, and you want me to hand you the keys to my entire franchise and me pay you eventually like a hundred million dollars to be a starting quarterback in the NFL? You got me messed up if you think that i'm not taking every single thing into account give me a hundred million dollars i'm asking neighbors i'm asking pets i want to know everything about the person i'm about to give a hundred million dollars to and lead my program or my franchise 
forward. And if you're barely smart enough to solve the question of there's this many people in the class, this many people in this class, what percentage is this? And you can't give me that and you can't give me your full effort on that task. You you got me real messed up if you think I'm giving you $100 million and the keys to my franchise. At the same time, I mean, if you look at the scores, I mean, your, your argument's falling apart. Would you rather give the keys to your franchise to Deshaun Watson or Jameis Winston right now? Uh, I'm picking Deshaun Watson right now. Yeah, Deshaun Watson scored a 20 and Jameis Winston scored a 27. Yeah, I, I just said that, like, around that range is, like, okay. And, like, Deshaun Watson still hasn't hasn't even won a playoff game for the Texans, so let's just take that into account. He doesn't have an O-line. He's getting destroyed. What? It, that's my fault? Why? Wow. Uh, it's not my fault. I, never, I, did, a... I didn't say it was your fault. I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. falling apart, like, so you're acting saying. like it's your fault. No, 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 no. Let's talk about if it. You're, let's talk about okay. it. Okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's talk about it. I never said it was your fault. So that your argument's falling apart, so you're acting like I'm blaming you. That's not how it's going to no. work. I, no, let's I'm talk just about saying. the actual argument. All right, let's talk about it because I'm saying that if it comes down to who I want to leave my franchise and it's like Deshaun Watson's film was better than Jameis Winston. I have personally said on this podcast, Jameis Winston is one of the most overrated quarterbacks I've ever seen. He had a decent year at Florida State and got handed the Heisman, even though I don't think he really should have won it. And everyone's saying, oh, he's the first pick in the draft. He's like, he had discipline issues. He he had criminal issues he had immaturity issues and all that wasn't red flag enough yeah it should have so, been yeah it should have been so therefore if you compare deshaun watson Jameis winston we would have never got to the wonderlick score because deshaun watson's film was better deshaun watson had better character deshaun watson was better at every single aspect of his game compared to compared to Jameis winston coming out of college so therefore, yeah, he scored six, seven points less than him on the Wonderlick, but every other sign in my database about Deshaun Watson says he was going to be better than Jameis Winston. Okay. That's all I was saying. I'll say it should offer another data point. So with Tua, the reason this matters to me, Tua's got injury history. Injury history. He played with the best offensive line and best receiving core in the country in college. And he still couldn't stay healthy. He played under the greatest coach of all time. So, and apparently now he's not—he's the weakest cognitive quarterback in the draft. I mean, th- these data points are adding up to I would not spend my first-round pick on Tua Tagovailoa. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't—I don't disagree with you there. And is it—is it kind of funny that the three quarterbacks who score the lowest are the three biggest question marks in the draft? No, it. I, I'm just saying that's that's all I was saying is that this should just count as another data point and we shouldn't just discount it. And the argument that they're not taking it seriously or that, you know, it's a stressful time. It's like, yes, that's the point. And you should try it, everything because it's an interview for your dream job. And these teams are going to be spending millions of dollars investing in you. So you should at least give them that your effort. I mean. That's that's all I'm saying. And then the fact that the average quarterback makes above a 30 even raises more concerns that Tua made a 13. Right. Uh, I, that's that's all I'm saying. I, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it should be the sole deciding factor. But these results are significant enough where if you're borderline on a player or you really don't know what to think about it, you should you should take it into some of an account. Okay. Uh, I mean, that I, I don't have anything else to argue. So let's, let's go ahead and move on. We'll, we'll, we'll let the fans decide. We'll, we will post a poll this upcoming week. 
Uh, we will let you guys decide whether the Wonderlick scores do matter or not. But we're going to go ahead and move to our final segment after that beast of a segment, man. I mean, we had almost 20 minutes arguing about a test. That is that's tough. But as the COVID-19 outbreak continues, many experts speculate when and should the NCAA play this upcoming season. Uh some experts have recently suggested playing the upcoming season in the spring of 2021. This allows about a year's worth of time for scientists and doctors to develop treatments or vaccines for this COVID-19. Um, some people love the idea. Others, you know, have their doubts about it. You know, it, it might be a logistic nightmare due to other sports that play their seasons in the spring. So, Brandon, um, what do you think of this plan? Is it logistically possible? And would this be the path that you would personally want to take? Look, as much as I want college football to happen for this upcoming season, I just don't see a way in which this plan works out. Um, you know, on paper, maybe it sounds great at first, but I, there's there's no way it works out, right? I mean, how many college football players do we have that play a second sport, whether that sport be, uh, whether that sport be baseball or track? Uh, we have uh, a ton. Uh, thousands, thousands. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of them. Um, and so, how are you going to play baseball, football, track? How are you going to do all of those at the same time? You're not. It's not possible. And not only that, but I mean, what's the plan going forward? You know, if if the 2021 season is going to be in the spring. What are they going to do? Take the summer off and start back in September? You can't do that. You're going to have to move, you're going to have to shift college football to the spring for every single year. Is that some is that a thing that we're going to want to do from now on, or is this are the schools going to want to lose money because you know the athlete the the students that would normally go to football and baseball games are now only going to football games or now only going to baseball games? I don't think they're going to do that like, even for a second. I mean, it would be a ridiculous it would be a ridiculous thing to ask. Um, not only that, but I mean, the sports are spread out. We have to remember these kids are in college, by the way. These sports are spread out so that um, that not only the seasons are apart, so there's different sports going on at different times, so these athletes can play at different times, so that certain students are out of class at certain times. You know, if you're a football student, you're missing class during the fall semester uh, here, and not not even usually, unless you have a road trip, you're not missing. Um because games are on Saturdays, unless you're like in the Sun Belt, you play on a Tuesday night for some reason, or you're in the MAC, you play on Wednesdays. It doesn't make sense. But um, I, I mean, it, you're typically missing class only during the fall if you're a football student. If you're a baseball student, you're missing class in the spring. But if you move football season to the spring, you're going to have classrooms that are that are, that are empty, or not empty, but more empty than they should be because none of these athletes are going to be able to. Uh, attend class because they have games going on. It's just, there's a lot of things that go into this um, that don't make a lot of logistical sense. Not to mention if you move it to the spring or not even the spring. I mean, I assume the season will probably start somewhere around January, February. Listen, not as much as we'd love to believe that sports only happen uh, in the SEC. That's just not the case. There's a lot of parts of this country that snow is going to continue. Um, or even like, I mean, just just wretched, uh, wretched uh, temperatures are going to be happening across this country. It's going to be far too cold to play football, you know, as, as bad as it sounds. Uh, February, I mean, it's just going to be miserable for a majority of the country. And if you're out there trying to play football during this time, there's a reason they don't start college baseball until March. 
you know, that's when it finally starts warming up. If you're trying to play a sport in January and February, it's just, I don't know how that's going to be possible. You know, they, they can't clear the fields of snow. I mean, things like that. It's, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, I completely a thousand hundred percent echo your sentiment here. I mean, this is a great idea. Uh, the people who suggested this love it because it's looking like in the fall it's going to have to be a, a shortened season. But I'd rather have a shortened season that allows basketball to move forwards successfully rather than a half, uh, you know, a full season which screws up everything. I mean, Brandon. So if we start, so we start football in August, and usually the championships around January, right? So, and it's really September to January because August, we sometimes it's the last week. And, you know, I just, that's five months. So let's say they start in January. I mean, that's going to be horrible. I mean, you're going to have football games during March Madness. The, the, right. The, the TV, um, you know, the broadcast owners are going to have a panic attack. I mean, the CBS air, the SEC at two thirty, or do they air the Sweet Sixteen, or oh my what is God. ESPN about, air? Right, and let's talk about this. I mean, how many how many guests have we had on here that are uh, that are commentators for, for these both games? sports or all three? For, for all three of these sports. Oh my goodness! And that's not even including gymnastics and other other sports. I mean, there's announcers that literally announce for every single sporting event that they can, and I mean. What are you going to do? And like Brandon already said, the athletes that play both sports, we've mentioned baseball and track because that's the main ones. But there's there's some players that play basketball and football at some of these programs. And the, it just will not work, guys. I mean, if you have March Madness and you have the college football playoff and the College World Series all about the same time, that is going to be a nightmare for colleges. And I brought this up to Brandon while we were planning this episode out. What happens? Are they going to balance the schedule? What happens to the schools that are hosting a softball, baseball, basketball, and football game all on the same weekend? I mean, yeah, it's but Brandon, you've been to LSU for a football game. Uh, I've been to Auburn. Yeah. I've been to LSU. I've been to a lot of these campuses. These campuses have to shut down solely for a football game, and they these cities are packed to capacity because not every you know team plays in a giant city like Baton Rouge. I mean, Baton Rouge is one of the more I guess uh, more of the capable cities of hosting because Baton Rouge is a big city regardless of LSU. But what about towns like Auburn and Tuscaloosa and and College Station that in Gainesville that are literally just that college? I mean, these cities aren't built to handle that influx of traffic. I mean, and, you know, each of these sports rely on ticket sales. There's going to be people who would have went to the basketball game that are going to go to the football game now. And vice versa. I mean, the the money, the money, logistics, everything is pointing to the thing of this cannot happen. And I don't know about you guys. I mean, National Signing Day is uh, February, guys. And early signing period is December. So what are you going to do with all the recruits that want to enroll early? Are they allowed to play? Yeah. Or are they just have to or are they allowed to go through spring? I mean, they're just too many problems with this in my opinion and i think you're asking for a nightmare i don't know about you brandon i mean if if that's the case i think the sports world is going to change i mean you would have the nfl the nba college football college basketball college foot i mean college of baseball and the nba and i mean all that would be going on at the same time 
Yeah. And they, they, it, and they it, got it for be... uh, If you're in an Olympic year too, oh my lord, man. I mean, there's not enough TV channels. I mean, we would have to be watching college football on the HG TV now. I mean, there would be nowhere to put these games. I mean, we would have to have a game on every single channel across the country for some sport. I mean, it would be terrible. I mean, the SEC network and the ACC network would panic. I mean, oh, because yeah. they would they would have to get rid of college basketball games on Saturday, right? I mean, they they normally play them on Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday. Um, like you flip from Tuesday to Wednesday, and then you play a game on Saturday. They'd have to switch that to Mon- Monday, Friday, right? I mean, there would be no way to do a Saturday basketball game you, if college football is going you on. You have to. I mean, basketball and then baseball usually plays weekend series. Uh, you know, those are the, just the series. They play weekday games as well. But, I mean, how are you – I don't know. It sounds like a logistical nightmare. I mean, Brandon, so how close is LSU's baseball stadium to the football stadium? It's walking distance. I'd say it's it, it may be uh maybe like half a mile. It's not it's not it's not super far. So uh, I don't know if you guys um want to address this or not, but I mean I've Brandon, you've been to Auburn. Auburn's basket, uh, base, baseball th- uh, stadium is in the exact same parking lot as the football stadium. I mean, they are literally less than probably a thousand feet apart. I mean, there's just one street separating them. And then to add on to that, there's one street separating both of those from the basketball stadium. How in LSU's the world? Basketball, is- LSU's basketball stadium is literally right across the street from the football stadium. Exactly. Like, good luck. And- and I, I, I'm at K-State right now, guys, and the basketball stadium is connected to the football stadium. Like, th- you can go, like, inside the basketball. Like, they are connected. At, like, there's a tunnel leading to each one. I mean, it would be a disaster. And that's just – and I'm telling you guys, like, Ma- Manhattan's a great city. This place would implode. It would just be a one large sinkhole of chaos if there were four sports going on at the same time because this city can barely handle football. I mean, oh, yeah. it it would be garbage. And, you know, how would you do eligibility? I mean, the NFL drafts in April. Would you have to have the draft when players are literally in season? Yeah, it's. Well, I guess I baseball kind of does that. But, like, I mean, at the same time, like, there would just be so many problems with that. And if college football had to move to spring, the NFL also has to move to spring. And then we talk about the world ending. I mean, there's no way for the NBA, NFL, college football, college basketball, and college baseball all to be going on at the same time, guys. It, no it sounds like a good plan, but based on from what I've been reading, I mean, I'm not a doctor or anything, so I'm not going to speculate, but it's either going to be played in the fall or it's going to be canceled. And I think that's the only two options because we go back, what, three or four episodes ago, we talk about the summer plan. There's no way, guys. It is too hot. I mean, Brandon, you're in Louisiana. How hot is it already? Uh, it's actually been kind of cold recently, but what? Uh, but what is pe- this? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. It, it, I, I don't know. It, it's strange. It, it, let me let me tell you guys. In case you guys think I'm a liar, now it's not going to last long. Uh, Louisiana is really really hot. Uh, it is April 19th as we're recording. It all hell is about to break loose in Southern Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's it, it's not going to be good. But guys, um. That is a wrap on this episode. Um, we appreciate you guys, you guys tuning in. We have um, 
big things coming up this week. The draft is this week. We will make announcements very, very soon about what we're doing for that. So stay tuned for that. Also, go to our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Look at the merch that we posted. If you guys want some, like, comment, let us know. We'll be dropping that extremely, extremely soon. So shout out to you guys who have already hit us up about that. We love all our listeners, all our fans out there. We got big things coming for you guys. Twitter at the underscore underscore blue bloods instagram at the underscore blue bloods facebook at the blue bloods pod find us uh, follow us on all those things announcements posts everything all coming on those uh website the blue bloods pod.com go find us on there youtube the blue bloods go subscribe check out old episodes you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts you guys keep tuning in We'll keep dropping episodes. That's how this works. But for right now, we out.